Welcome back to the Text Lab. We're glad you're with us. Uh, every week we do a deep dive into the text and our goal is simple. We want to help you unpack the passage to help you grow as a disciple who makes disciples. Hopefully this is helpful as you're studying, reflecting, or leading conversations. And today I am here with Jake Manfredi. Jake? Hey guys. How I'm, you doing? I'm doing good, yeah. Um, what's, what's new? new? I, yeah. Tell me something new you learned this last week. That's good. Something new I learned. I don't know if I learned anything, and I'm actually in <laughs> school right now. <laughs> uh, I guess something from this last week is Lily got her wedding dress. Boom. Boom. But so you didn't see it. It's not something I learned. I, mean, I guess I learned about it, but I haven't seen it, of course. Uh, I've heard it's white, um, but that's all I know. That so is very exciting. exciting. Yeah. How about you? I learned my water heater broke today, <laughs> so I learned how to drain a water heater. Yep. Chat GPT yep. taught me how. Wow. It was great. I mean, actually, it was not great. <laughs> yeah. That was this morning? That was this morning, yeah. But it'll be okay. Well, oh, we man. are in Romans. We've made it through chapter 10. We're now in chapter 11, Romans 1 through 10. So just a quick recap. I feel like we've been saying the same thing every week when we recap. We've been moving th- slowly through 9, 10, and 11. Yeah. And Paul has been talking about God's redemptive story and wrestling with the fact that Israel, God's chosen people, have largely rejected him. And so one of the questions that he's going to answer really, he's just literally going to answer this in the first sentence, is um, if basically he, he, he's wrestling through the fact that Israel has rejected God, so has God rejected Israel. Yeah. And we've already talked about how in large part, the nation of Israel has rejected God. So he's answering this um, theoretical question, is that God's doing? Did God reject them? So you want to read the passage and to, yeah. he's going to answer that question right away. Yeah, we've got 10, 10 verses. So it's kind of long. I'll, uh, I'll just you're going to do great. It. Thanks, man. I'll, can you I'll do, do the thing best. like you did last time where you said quote when you're doing the quotes? I can absolutely That was really helpful do. because... because yeah, they don't know it's a quote. They don't know that. Yeah. It sounds like it's Paul saying it. Okay, listener, here we go. <laughs> Verse one of chapter 11. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I, Paul, am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Quote, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I, Elijah, am the only one left and they're trying to kill me. End quote. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, quote, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. All right. A lot of verses. Yeah, some heavy stuff. Yeah, ends with some heavy stuff. Um, Let me just start with what stands out to you as you're you're reading through this. We've been through chapter 9, 10. The, The end of 10 is this really beautiful picture you and I were talking about last time where God 
is described as this father who's just holding out his arms yeah. all day long to Israel. So what, what stands out to you in this passage? Yeah, I think if I were just to read this passage kind of alone, um, I, my, the tone would be kind of like, uh, I'd, I'd be kind of upset about it, I think. Mm. And it sounds very serious and very um, almost like he's calling people out. Um, and so I think what stands out to me as I'm reading this is like to read it in the broader the broader scope of yeah. Romans and to remember like how Paul started this argument in chapter nine with like heartbroken humility. And then he ends it in this chapter with more heart, heartbroken, heart wrenching humility. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's book ended with that. And I think that's a really good, um, I don't know, tone correction for, for reading through this stuff. But the specific part of this, um, of this text that really stands out is the grace stuff from, from chapter six or sorry, uh, from verse six it says, and if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were grace would no longer be grace. Um, just the idea of a gift yeah. it being a gift from God, that God is a gift giver that like his arms are outstretched, not just to like receive us back, but also cause he wants to give us stuff mm. too. Um, there's just a lot of imagery that is resonating with me as I read this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I appreciate you highlighting just the, these passages are not easy and simple to wrap our minds around. And you've got stuff like, you know, the picture at the end of 10 where God has got his arms stretched out and this passage is hammering this idea of grace again. But then you get to verse eight and it talks about God giving them a spirit of stupor. And so there's tension, there's really confusing, hard passages to wrestle through and it's just not easy. And, yeah. and sometimes it feels a little bit like a roller coaster. You're like, all oh, oh, right, really? grace. And then it's talking about God giving a spirit of stupor. So I think in that, I mean, I don't know that you and I are going to be able to unpack all of that in, in a few minutes. But I think speaking to our listeners, it's just good to remember that it's okay to wrestle. Mm. And it's okay to experience tension as you read scripture. And as we continue to meditate and pray about the passage. Yeah. Um, I don't even know that we always just get the clarity we long for, but that's so much of the journey is um, scripture is not like dissecting a frog where you just open it, cut it apart, label its parts and just get on, you know, go on your way. Scripture is a revelation of a living God. And so there's a lot to wrestle through. So I I think I would just want to give people permission to like, yeah, well, it is hard. And even like in, I love what you're saying with that, but like not, but, and even in this chapter, Paul ends with like, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom mm. and knowledge of God. It's unsearchable, his ways and his judgment. Like he ends it with worship and he ends it with like trying, like what you said yesterday in teaching team was really good, how he's trying to shed light on a mystery, but it's a mystery. Yeah. But he's trying to like show something, up, yes. like trying to illuminate a little bit of it, which is so good. And like, he's not writing this for us to have a concrete theology of like, I completely understand how God hardens people and how he chooses people and how they also reject him all. Like, it's just not what he's trying to get at though. Like regardless, yeah, you know? And so I love what you're saying. Cause Paul's wrestling with it too, I'm sure. And he's helping people wrestle with it. Yeah. Which is good, man. I don't know what sticks good. out um, for you as you read through some of this stuff. Well, maybe I'll just try to first just kind of walk through the passage. So yeah, that's good. He's doing, he's kind of got this logical argument going. He's, he asks a question, did God reject his people? Immediately answers it, no. Unequivocally, no. Mm-hmm. And then his rationale is, I'm saved. He raises his hand basically and says, I'm an Israelite and I'm saved. And so, um, and then he says, 
and not just me. And he says that God has preserved a remnant. And so he reaches back to the story of Elijah and and he's reminding them all, like he's hyperlinking back to the story of Elijah that they all know. Yeah. He's activating their memory and saying, do you guys remember when Elijah thought maybe God had just kind of abandoned Israel Yeah. Yeah. and he was the only one. And then God tells Elijah, no, no, I've got a remnant of 7,000 people. And so he's saying something similar is happening, even though by and large, the nation of Israel has rejected God. And that may have been true in Elijah's day as well. Uh, God still has saved this group and, yeah. and Paul being one of them. And so, again, I think we, we've talked a lot about this, but I think one of the things this passage is getting at is that God's promises have not been frustrated. His mm-hmm. plan hasn't changed. We can trust God. God with Abraham said, I'm going to use your family to bless all the nations. And God is still doing that. There's still a remnant of Israel that are following Jesus and are saved and are part of that family and will be a blessing to the nations. So I think one of the things that stands out to me is just Paul continuing to hammer this idea that even when God's plans seem confusing and you feel like you're standing in fog, Mm. you can trust that his promises will come to pass. Like, and that's just encouraging for me. So as I read scripture, like anytime we come to a promise, we have to really wrestle through, is this, is God promising something? But if he is, we can bank on it. Yeah. And, and yeah. we all know that like, that's, that's easy to say as I sit here and we're reading the Bible and we're sure, talking yeah. about it, but in real life, it's not always easy to trust God's promises. It's not always easy to trust that he loves us or forgives us after we sin again, even though we've told God, I'll never do that thing again. It's not always easy to trust that God is with us when we feel like he's abandoned us or whatever. So in real life, it's hard, but there's something in this passage that just reminds me that God will always, always, always be good to his promises. And so I just think of people listening or maybe friends that you guys have who are in the moments where you feel like you're in the fog. And this passage is a reminder that God's promised to be with you, to love you, to extend his grace to you. If you're one of his children, um, to work all things, uh, to conform you to the sun, like he will do all those things. And that's a good reminder for me. Man, that's good. It reminds me of like first Peter when, um, he's talking about like a living hope and how we have this living hope set before us and like this these promises are attached to a living god that is fully steadfast and like fully perfect and yeah. will hold these promises and is like an alive god yeah like uh with us and yeah. incarnate and um yeah it's good man it's good and it affects every situation we're in every circumstance we're in when things get confusing because i love that that's what you're kind of hitting on is like the jews are probably a little confused Yes. In this passage. Yeah. Like, like what is going on? Time. Why are the Gentiles in? Are we yeah. out? What's yeah. happening? Yeah. Yeah. Like, why is there a Gentile next to me in church? In the church of Rome is yes. what they're thinking. Like, yes. that hasn't been the case for a lot of years. And shouldn't they have to follow all the Old Testament law if they're yeah. going to be one of God's people? Yeah. Like, we've been doing this. We've been grinding through these laws for hundreds of years. They don't have to cir- get circumcised. Yeah. What the heck is that? Or they can eat this <laughs> other food. They can eat yeah. bacon. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's, good. It's funny. And, it makes me, yeah. you, you actually brought this up earlier, but this idea of we're kind of zooming out and, and like looking at all three chapters, yeah. nine through 11, where Paul is addressing confused people 
and trying to bring clarity about what God is doing. It makes me think of you were talking about in Hebrews when it talks about these men and women who live by faith. And one of my favorite verses in there is talking about Abraham. And it says that by faith, he, he basically hears this call of God and goes, and it says he went out not knowing where he was going. And I think that's just a really good picture. Like Paul in these passages is calling people to trust Yahweh because he is good and he is faithful. And even though it looks really confusing what he's doing, he is still faithful to his promises. And Abraham is invited into that uncertain space to say, hey, will you trust that I am good, even though everything looks really uncertain, just like the Israelites are that Paul's writing to. Like, hey, this looks really confusing and weird, but we got to trust that he's good. And you and I are invited often into those kind of spaces where everything looks murky and weird yeah. and not clear. And I don't know what you're doing, God. And why would you not do? Sometimes I just feel like I get, I so obviously see what you should do, God. <laughs> like whether it's heal that person or yeah. save this person or do yeah. this thing. Like, why would you not do that? And, and yet we're just invited like Abraham, like the Israelites here to continue to trust that God is good. Not blindly, but because we can right. look backwards and like, right. oh dude, I actually have dozens and dozens and dozens of reasons in my own life yeah. to trust God. Not to mention looking back at salvation history and seeing what God has done throughout all of history. I so, love that. That's what Paul's doing too, which is so good. Like he's calling back to the is, prophets yeah. just continuously. He's like, remember, remember, remember. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Like they, they are invited to live like Elijah and be reminded, yeah. hey, God has not rejected his people. There is a remnant. Yeah. And he's he's calling them back to this very familiar and famous story. Uh, I mean, we're getting into some implications, but are there any other implications that you think about mm. as we sit in this passage? Yeah, I think the Elijah space is one, and then there's another one that I have. But the Elijah one, I just love that story of him like trying to be faithful and trying to be like a lone prophet out in the wilderness. Eugene Peterson has great stuff mm. to say about Elijah, but um, he's just alone out there and trying to do all these really hard things that God like tells him to do and he does them all. And then he like retreats away from these people who are trying to kill him. And he's like, God, I'm good to go. Like mm. I'm ready if I'm kind of suicidal right now, you know? And he's in this deep place that is, is hard. Um, and the way that Paul like uses that as the example for understanding a remnant and understanding confusion and understanding uncertainty and faithfulness, and, like all these things, it's just really powerful to me as I'm reminded of Elijah because it highlights God's character um, to his faithful people. It's just good. The second one for me is more practical and it's as I'm sitting in young adults or I'm sitting in um, missional spaces where people don't love Jesus, I have such a proclivity to just have so much judgment for people and write them off. Um, mm. like, oh, you're like, there's no way that yeah. God is reaching you yeah. or like I've heard you're too far gone. Yeah. Or even we've had conversations before and you clearly are like, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm down to hang out, but I, I don't want anything to do. You yeah. know, you're just, and I write them off um, too far gone. Yeah, totally. And what this passage is saying is like, at least to me now is uh, I don't know who the remnant includes. Like, I don't know who's a part of, of the remnant and um, I won't know. It's not, something that I can know. And so reframing my view of these people as like, I'm just going to love them the way that God loves them. Like the way that like my prayer recently has been, um, tune my affections to be towards these people, the way that they, the way that yours are mm. towards these people, 
because it's so easy for me to just not want to and and to um, in the judgment be irritable or frustrated or whatever. Um, but Paul's heart is that heart wrenching humility, and and I don't know what the remnant is, and so I'm trying to pray that way, and it's um, just cultivating that affection towards these people because I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's really good. Up. Yeah, it makes me think that we need to embrace Jesus's eyes. Like mm-hmm. we need to see people the way he sees people, which is with hope and love and deep longing. And he doesn't give up on people. Um, th- that makes me think of who wrote this book. <laughs> Paul would have been hands down the dude you'd point out and be like, that guy is never getting saved right. because what he's doing is killing Christians and throwing them in prison. Like imagine, I mean, like that's like worthwhile to put ourselves back in that story and to think if there's some guy rolling around Folsom and Eldorado Hills killing Christians and throwing them in prison, that's not the guy I would point to and be like, that guy's on the cusp of becoming a Christian. <laughs> he's on the edge. Yeah, he's like, he's right, you know, because we, we all see people, we're like, they're so close. Paul yeah. would not have been that. And he yeah. wasn't that. And then Jesus meets him in this moment and just radically changes his life. And when God is, this is so mind-bending to me, when God in the early church is sort of looking for a pioneer missionary, he doesn't even pick a Christian, he picks Paul, yeah. the guy who's murdering Christians. And so just to your point, like if Paul can become a Christian and a vibrant Christian, then all the people in our life who we yeah. think are too far gone, they're probably not killing Christians. I mean, probably, yeah. Probably not. It's a good guess. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're not, they're not too far gone. And yeah, just having this, um, a hope for people and to go all the way back to last uh, our last um, conversation, thinking about that image of the Father of Jesus or of of God with outstretched arms, like that's who you and I are supposed to be. Well, we're supposed to be the ones who embody God's outstretched arms, so that people meet us and they're not they learn what Yahweh is like yeah. through His people. Like that's yeah. always been God's plan is that people should learn what He is like through us. And so, yeah, we're supposed to embody the outstretched arms, the hospital loving, gracious arms of God. Um, I don't know. That's, that's exciting to me. Yeah. That fires me up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whether you're working out at the gym, you're cleaning the house, mowing the lawn. Who? I haven't mowed the lawn in a I, long time. I haven't had a lawn. I'm, we, we're in a, a house in Folsom now. And so I started mowing lawn, yeah. lawns again. And I love it. I grew up mowing lawns. Really? I always, yeah, I, I just, I, I think that probably no one has ever listened to this podcast while they're mowing the lawn, though, yeah. is my guess. If you, you have, if you are one of the 12 people who listen to this podcast and you have mowed the lawn while you listen, we would like to hear from you and we have a prize for you. Yeah, it's a lawnmower. <laughs> it's, oh. uh, do you listen to podcasts while you mow the lawn? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, sometimes maybe, I do. Maybe that's why it's in the description. Okay, well, whether you're doing that or driving in the car, whatever you like to do while listening to podcasts, uh, we hope you feel equipped genuinely and, and encouraged and ready to dive deeper um, into the text this week. Yeah, we love you guys, and uh, we'll catch you next time on the Text Lab.